millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Film chat grotto. It's in. We're in the grotto. We are um, waiting for the children to arrive to be dandied on our knees and given presents. <laughs> a lot not, of parents are, are trying alternatives uh, to Santa this year. You know, just taking their children to different people, non-Santa. Yeah, yeah, more secular view. Yeah, more secular. Santa, like Santa, religious. The, 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 a lot of parents taking their children to their favorite podcasters to yeah. be to be offered. Um, yeah, those kind of woke offered presents. Reading, you know, twenty-something hipster parents. Exactly. Santa's. I have utter, com- I have utter contempt for them, of course, but I will indulge I will, them. I will, I will indulge them, them in their <laughs> and their children, <laughs> and their, their children, and their desire to speak to me. So while we're waiting for the children to arrive, uh, we'll just re- record an episode of our podcast. This is our fourth Christmas special, which is a horrifying fact. It makes me feel about a million years old. Yeah, I didn't think my life has progressed or developed or advanced in any way i think if you went back and listened to the first one you would just hear someone who is the exact same age the same level of wisdom you know well you want to be comforted at christmas right we're uh, a you know just a, a nice thing on the calendar it's like the queen's speech or a screening of the snowman just always the same it's always the same don't worry about it yeah exactly absolutely so danny you are currently in a christmas jumper you have quite a few christmas jumpers right I've got five five Christmas jumpers. Can you can you take us through the designs? So I mean, your current one is a snowman. This is the first one I got. Right. It's like a snowman, but the carrot nose is three D. Yeah. It's all knitted, and there's also the scarf is all tied on. That's so also three dimensional. It's also three dimensional. Year after that, I got one which was uh, like a red one, but it lit up. It was pretty exciting. Where did it like? How did that it's work? It's got like four fairy lights built into the chest. Okay. And they like. They lit up and they change colors. But then, you know, going back to my year nine physics, because it's a series circuit, the first light broke, so the whole thing was fucked. What's the what's the other type of circuit that it should have been? A parallel. A parallel circuit. That right? Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. Okay. And what then third year, I got one which was uh, like just a regular sort of Christmas jumper, which is like Christmassy pans on it, but it had a little jingle that played. And my sister also got my dog the same jumper. There's a photo of us both wearing a christmas jumper i think purely for one photo she shelled out for another child's jumper it's a good idea 
And then I got one that says, Happy Birthday, Jesus. One time when I was wearing that, I got accosted in the... Well, accosted. I got approached by this sort of Christian guy who was like giving out leaflets for some cause. I'm like, why are you targeting me? I was like, oh. Afterwards, like, right. But wouldn't he, like, no, already, you're already on board, aren't you? According As far as he's concerned? Yeah. What does he think that makes you non-religious because you're making light of it? I don't know if he thought, like, a true Christian would wear, like, a so ironic Primark jumper. <laughs> but he approached me, and I was like, eh, no, thank you. And then uh, last year, I got one which is like, a little elf. It's like, it was like a little elf's body, so your head becomes, becomes the, 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 the elf's head. Some, uh, it's got some jingle bells on it, so I jingled as I walked. That's and, nice. And to, and then next episode, I'll fill you in on which jumper I'm going to get. So do you always get one? My sister, I think she's planning to get me 12. For 12 days So of you Christmas. can wait. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. And then I'll have a shit. Do you want one? Do you want to borrow one? That's a good long-term got, plan. I've got a lot. Uh, what I was going to ask is, like, if you could, <laughs> could, you know, what would be the Christmas film that you would wear as a jumper... That, and what would be the little 3D appendage? Because it's got to have a you know gimmick. Good Christmas jumpers have to have a gimmick. So it's got to have like a bit that comes out, or it makes a noise, or it lights up, or it plays music. So what movie would you have in jumper form? Like how would that work? So favorite Christmas movie is White Christmas. I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Can and you like you know? Is there a sort of bit of iconography from that film that you can? Uh, there's a lot of good dance numbers. I would just have a 3D. Danny Kay dancing, just dancing, just stitched on. <laughs> Maybe it's got a little pull cord, and they're like it makes the legs move. Yeah, like and they it, do it makes little, the legs dance. Yeah, and has a little uh, bit of burst of one of the songs. Maybe choreography. That's a good song from that musical. Yes, yes, yes. It's also got um, Rosemary Clooney in it, who's George Clooney's aunt. Hmm. Hmm. Ah. Pretty good. Very interesting. I think my favorite Christmas movie, or at least movie set at Christmas, is probably The Apartment. Which kind of covers Christmas and New Year. Actually, that's a good, that's, that's a much part. better pick. Well, your movie is more Christmassy. It's got Christmas in the title. <laughs> it's got Christmas in the title. I don't know if the apartment is like, you know, it takes place and Christmas happens during the film. It's but got it's, a Christmas scene. But it's also got a New Year scene, so I don't know. Yeah, but it's kind of like the. It's very good. It's got, got a Christmassy ending. feel. It's got an amazing ending. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, you know. But anyway, so what I would have is the bit where, you know, when he strains the spaghetti with the tennis racket. Yeah. So my my jumper would have a tennis racket on it, like a real tennis racket on yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And it would just have dangling little woolen things that represent the spaghetti coming through the holes. Like a genius idea. Thanks. <laughs> we should get into that. Because you know this, like, girl on tees? Yeah, um, go, yeah, girls on tees. Like, you can get those t-shirts in the BFI shop now. They've become so big and hip. Everybody's got like a Greta Gerwig or t-shirt. Annette Benning or something. Exactly. We should get into the sort of film icon t- t-shirt business. I thought, yeah, I thought business. you were about to suggest like men, men on tees. Boys on tees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's the that's, perfect response that's to that. That's the perfect response, yeah. Yeah. I don't be cucked by these t-shirts, okay? <laughs> I'm going to get some male stars written in black print on a white t-shirt so I can feel a bit more secure about myself. Yeah. I can't be wearing an Annette Benning t-shirt. Yeah, I want a fucking Michael Cera t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Real man. <laughs> I want a Jesse Eisenberg t-shirt. Oh my god. <laughs> that would be the lamest shirt. <laughs> I love the idea of having. I just that's a fucking great idea. Actually, I would love to wear this is like a plain white shirt and it says Jesse Eisenberg <laughs> in black letters on it. Just like that's right, Jesse. That's right, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah, he is like probably stand up for Eisenberg. Cool actor I can think of. God, he's really fucking uncool, isn't he? Yeah, not like that. Not likable. Not likable. Funny. <laughs> Yeah. It's a bit like they try to make Michael Cera again, like, uh, you know, Captain America style. They, well, to, they like, used the same mold, but it didn't come out as <laughs> the well the second time. <laughs> like, what happened? Yeah. 
Anyway, anyway, let's start the episode. On with the show! Christmas, Christmas, Merry Christmas, season's greetings, goodwill to all men, tinsel, crackers, pine tree presents, mistletoe, park the herald angels, turkey, baubles, mulled wine, Saint Nick, peace on earth, Brussels sprouts, wise men, Santa Claus, elves, shepherds, jingle bells, Christmas pudding, Yuletide, Rudolph, stockings, chestnuts, snowmen, carols. Festive cheer to everyone, Christmas film chat has begun. Um, as, as regular listeners will be aware, there's always a little bit of theatre, Christmas grotto theatre. Yes, what have, so you, what have you got in there in your hands? I'm now opening a box of mince pies, Ooh. which is a very Christmassy treat. Not very well, wow. struggling a little bit. Unfortunately, we don't have our producer Katie with us today. She uh, got called away for urgent family business. She had urgent family business to attend to, so this is only really two-thirds of a proper Christmas episode. She's not yeah. going to do the quiz that she normally does, unless she sort of suddenly calls us and Skypes it in or something like that. I've got some, you know, old episodes. I'm sure I can find some archive material of Katie talking. Can you just, like, recut it yeah. so that, it, you know, just maybe chop and chop up the words a bit so it sounds like new questions? Yeah, exactly. It'd be like Oliver Reed and the Gladiator, you know. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Very securely packaged. So These Waitrose. These are Waitrose. These are from the Waitrose 1 range. This is like the Heston Blumenthal thing where you have to like snort some... Oh, no, no, no. This isn't the Blumenthal. Yeah. That's um, a bit too much. You've got, to, you've got to take like a special enema and, yeah, and it yeah. changes your like the colour of your tongue. Something like that. Too uh, no, much Heston. These are individual all-butter mince pies with a rich mincemeat filling containing apricot, glacé cherries, almond, and brandy. Delicious. Would you like one, Danny? Oh, please. Here you are. Thank you so much. I shall also have a mince pie. So, um, I got in touch with our listeners on Facebook. I got in touch with them all individually. And I asked them about their favourite films of the year. Oh. And their least favourite films of the year. Good idea. Yeah, thank you very much. Seems like a reasonable thing to do. You know, look back on the year, that kind of thing. So, Chris Young got in touch, our good friend Chris. His best movies of the year are, in no particular order, Florida Project, I Am Not Your Negro, Call Me By Your Name, The Red Turtle, the really long OJ documentary, that which was made in America, right? Yeah, yeah. And Moonlight, and his worst movies of the year, Murder on the Orient Express, and The Party. Hard very, to disagree with them. Hard to disagree. Very, very reasonable uh, choices there. Uh, Dom Bennett also got in touch to tell us that, that his favourite films of the year were Moonlight, The Road to Mandalay, Manchester by the Sea, Tony Erdman, and Personal Shopper, which is highlighting some holes in my viewing schedule. Road a lot of people Mandalay. were... S- when was that? What was that? What you know was that, that was? Dom? That sort of rings a bell, but I didn't really remember what it is. But it must have been bloody good. And Personal Shopper was that Kristen Stewart film, which... Um, Olivia Assayas. Olivia Assayas, yeah. Which cropped up on a few lists, actually. I was yeah, seeing, yeah. It, seeing it around, but I did not watch it. I kind of had been intending to watch it on Kerr's own home cinema or something like that, but I didn't get around to I it. I didn't get around to it. I busy I shopping. I didn't get around to it. I actually was personally shopping instead of watching the movie Personal <laughs> Shopper. That probably is what I would have been doing. I was living out the film. If I didn't need to uh, buy Christmas presents last minute, I would have watched it. And his worst movies of the year were Dunkirk, T2, Trainspotting, and Mother... Wow, well, Dunkirk is one of the biggest 
I mean, it's quite a divisive movie. I, I mean, I those know, are all movies. Well, I haven't seen Tra- the Trainspotting sequel. That is not very good. But I can definitely see why you would hate Dunkirk, and I can definitely see why you would hate Mother. Although I didn't hate either of them. Yeah. But I can understand that. Dougal McQueen also got in touch. His best are Macala, which he puts unlikely to get a release in 2018, uh, which gives us the opportunity to talk about now because maybe it won't get released and it will fall through the cracks, which would be a terrible shame. Terrible shame. Because it was a fantastic documentary, which we all saw the LFF, about a a charcoal maker in uh, the Congo, basically. And the whole movie, it's only 90 minutes long, is about him uh, doing the process of making a load of charcoal and then schlepping it miles and miles to the nearest town to sell it in order to his dream is to buy enough uh, bits of plastic sheeting metal metal sheeting to uh, make a house for his family and it's uh, brilliant it's Abs- incredible absolutely brilliant yeah the opening shot is him with his tiny axe and this huge trick and like he's never going to do that and like five minutes later it's like Jesus this guy's incredible yeah it's like this tracking <laughs> shot I mean the, the movie kind of it's this journey of discovery for the viewer there's no n- narration at all uh, there's no text, I think. I don't believe there's anything. No, it's just like it just presents these images, and then like the narrative kind of unfolds. Very little like talking in it as well, and uh, it starts with just this tracking shot of him sort of walking through like like brush, and then he comes up upon this tree and starts to hack away at it, and it's like got a massive trunk, and he's this quite wiry guy with a little tiny axe, and it's like, you know, what is it? first of all, what is he up to? Why is yeah. he attempting this futile thing? Uh, and it just uh, kind of stays on him. It cuts forward a little bit. But by the time he knocks it down, I was already exhausted. Like, yeah, yeah. exhausted on his behalf. And this is just like the first of these many Herculean labors that he has to accomplish in order to create charcoal and then sell it. And it, it feels really epic, you know? Yeah, it's It takes amazing. on this sort of, like, fable-type um, quality of this man who is apparently limitless stamina and resilience to do... Know, to produce things that seem so small and it's this sort of vision of like poverty that is really impactful but not like completely unlike anything i've ever seen it, it kind of elevates it to this like um i don't know just this sort of epic material uh with him just performing these simple tasks and it was a t- it was tiring to watch just because of like all this shit he has to do and his you journey and get a latte and a muffin afterwards just to we had to see, just <laughs> I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I had to go and just buy myself a new pair of trainers <laughs> immediately just to sort of Cheer calm myself, myself down. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's like, it's sort of like a fly on the wall documentary, but if the fly was like a genius cameraman. Yes. So, like, <laughs> so it's like beautifully short and like, uh, there's rarely anyone like looks at the camera. I don't know if you just cut all that stuff out. But it's a bit like this sort of, sort of sentient spirit just floating over this It movie. is, yeah. There's a lot of like long tracking shots that are really beautifully done. And yeah, it's yeah, just it's absolutely brilliant. We'll so do do on, um, do check that out. Yeah, if we if we see any way to uh, split it down, we will recommend it. Other than that documentary, Dougal also cited uh, Raw and Certain Women, Tony Erdman, Moonlight, and The Lure, which he describes as La La Land, but good. And he also liked The Salesman. His worst were Kingsman, Mother, La La Land, The Lure, but bad, uh, Dunkirk, and Ingrid Goes West. Which is fair enough. I didn't like a lot of those movies. I thought Dunkirk was okay. Ingo's West and La Land. Sorry if you heard some chewing. I was chewing. That's okay. As a postcard, we added, actually, I've changed my mind. My number two is series three of Still Open All Hours, second best film of 2017. Trolling, sight, and sound. 
Yeah, trolling sight and sound with their sighting of Twin Peaks is the best, second best movie of the year. But I don't know what still open all hours is. It's the uh, belated follow-up sitcom to the classic sitcom, Open All Hours, with Ronnie Barker and David Jason. But David Jason is now taking on the Ronnie Barker role, and there's a new host of colourful neighbours to come into his shop. I can see why they called it that. But so the really, law- that shop would have been uh, sustained by a you know a Tesco's by now, right? Like yeah, it should be an online shop. Yeah, just uh, selling secondhand goods via Amazon. Um, the law was like something about a mermaid. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime, but I let my account expire, unfortunately. But it's a sort of musical fantasy mermaid film. Which I, I, really I have it now. I activated Amazon Student Prime or something okay. in order to G- do give me, some... Give me your login, man. I'll give you my login. You are welcome to it. I've got some presents to order by uh, Christmas Day as well, so... I'll, you can, I'll hit you back, but... Thanks, thanks, thanks buddy. will using your account. That's the spirit of Christmas in action. We also got a message from Twitter. Pretty exciting. From Hopporn. Hoppo, Hoppone. I think I think Hopon. I think I think the Welsh interpretation of that pronunciation's the best one. Hoppone. He says Hidden Figures was flat. Spider-Man was way better than it had any right to be. Last Jedi was highly enjoyable, but too long. We'll talk more about the Last Jedi. We'll be later reviewing on. that later. I guess this is a good opportunity for us to discuss what we thought were the best films of the year. Why not? Why not? And in general, I'd say it's been a great year. I had trouble whittling it down to 10. And I've got a few sort of honourable mentions that just didn't quite make the top ten. Yeah, me too. I, I thought it was a really good year for movies, actually. It was, well, I mean, I was sort of looking through, because I was trying to find my my favourite films and my least favourite, and there was a lot of absolutely garbage movies. I guess that's true <laughs> of any year. Uh, but also, yeah, a lot of great films. I mean, some of the ones that didn't make in my top ten are uh, really excellent. So, you know, deserve to be there in any other year. Should I go first? Should I put on some music and, you know... Why not? Pop a little bit of music on. Drop needle. Drop the needle. Drop the needle. And, future me. And get into it. So you're gonna be you're gonna be counting down, I guess, from ten. Yeah, but these numbers are somewhat arbitrary. Yeah, for me um, as well. So number ten, Raw. Number nine, Okja. Number eight, L. Number seven, The Handmaiden. Number six, Good Time. Number five, My Life as a Courgette. Number four, The Florida Project. Number three, Moonlight. Number two, Get Out. Number one, Tony Erdman. Cool. But, and honourable mentions, Call Me By Your Name, I'm Not Your Negro, Neruda, Prevenge, and The Ghoul, and Operation Avalanche just went on Netflix, and I'd like to shout out Operation Avalanche, because I thought it was just like a blast, it was like yeah, very untaxing, fun. kind of fun indie movie, Yeah, which might get a bit lost if, if, if little podcasts like us don't champion the little guy, Quite who, right. who will? Alright, shall, All right. shall I do mine? Please. With a different soundtrack maybe? Yeah. Maybe some heavy metal? No. You got it. No. No? <laughs> no? Okay. What kind of genre? Um, what do I want? Maybe just some, like a string quartet. Sure. Okay. So uh, here are my, here's my top ten. Number ten, Good Time. Was that on your list? Yeah. I missed, yeah. Maybe I wasn't listening. Uh, that's my number ten. Number nine, Neruda. I think our lists are kind of the same, but just with this slight different order. Number eight, My Life is a Courgette. Number seven, Clash which is that uh, Egyptian movie about the people uh, stuck in a van, which is really awesome. Six, Okja. Five, I Am Not Your Negro. Four, Get Out. Three, Tony Erdman. Two, Moonlight. And number one, Raw. But, yeah, I mean, these... I guess these lists are not... Uh, I mean, the numbers, are, you know, could, could kind of be rearranged without doing significant harm. There's still opinions. five minutes of Raw I haven't seen, so... Yeah, yeah, you can't... Maybe it's, it's once you've seen 10, that... But... I don't know if that five minutes would push it up or push it down. You know? I'm sort of wondering, because my favourite movie of last year was The Wailing. Or was that the year before? Maybe that was, the that year was last year. year. Was that last year? 
So I'm sort of wondering if I like horror movies more than I thought I did. <laughs> you know, like I've never really thought of myself as like a horror aficionado, but like yeah, well, I thought Raw was absolutely brilliant. Like completely blew me away. I'm, I don't know if you're the same, but I'm sort of tempted just to kind of remember movies where you had like a really visceral experience. I guess horror movies are designed to do that. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, Ogja made me a vegetarian. Raw made me pass <laughs> out. Uh, Good Time gave me the sensation of panic for like 90 minutes. Yeah. Get Out stopped you being a racist. <laughs> stopped me being a racist. <laughs> Moonlight moved me to tears. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that the, the films that really struck me, maybe this is just the same of all years, but it's things that feel really relevant to right now yeah because that seems like a particularly rare commodity it's movies that feel like they have something to say about no the world the as it is anymore. yeah like things are not not sort of uh no certainly not satire isn't doing it but also drama often doesn't feel like it's quite putting its finger on uh on what's happening wider culture and i thought like a lot of these movies really did um naruto is a fascinating kind of biopic like a like a really unusual take on a biopic and a really successful one with a with a remarkable amount of like uh, creative input from the director like real directorial voice not just trying to channel someone else's uh, success but you know yeah, and he's, has um, something to say about Naruto in a way that's like really good it's true and like I also oh, I didn't even mention Jackie which also came this year which I forgot about because yeah. it's part of the conversation of last year's movies but uh, yeah I feel like Pablo Rain has done a sort of one-two punch of like really good biopics which feels like the hardest genre to tackle in a way yeah and he's like i will not be beholden to the facts or you know historical accuracy i'm just gonna make the movie which is more the spirit of the man than the you know yeah it's like about him rather than about his life yeah absolutely my honorable mentions uh camera person uh which is the kind of autobiographical documentary by the filmmaker uh whose name i don't remember she's called christine something Christine johnson christine johnson something like that um, who is a uh, um, sort of director of photography on a bunch of different other documentaries, and she made this film that was like a memoir of her own work where she just used footage that was never put in the final films and stuck it together in, into its own film. And it's a really fascinating film that's like both about her own life and about the nature of documentary making and about being the like the point of view behind the camera and, you know... Wow, sounds dense. All this kinds of stuff. Uh, and it's, yeah, a really fascinating film that features Jack Derrida and Michael Moore and um, <laughs> a bunch of other random... Those guys. A bunch of other random stuff. Um, uh, yeah. But anyway, if you haven't seen any of the movies that we've mentioned, seek them all out. They're all fantastic. Shall we discuss Stinkers? Let's, enough of this positivity and goodwill to all men. Take, take that away. Is the time to, uh, well, let's also, you know, it's naughty and nice, isn't it? Part of Christmas. Who was on the naughty list this year? <laughs> <laughs> Should we also have soundtracks for these lists? Like, sure. Maybe like, I don't know, like trombones or some kind of... Uh, <laughs> like, uns- <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of thing? Or like yeah. unsettling horror music? Somewhere. Yeah, just like a company of like different terrible sounds. Maybe just like hammer horror creaking noises and you know, whistling wits. The Wilhelm scream. Sure. Maybe one Wilhelm scream per item. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? All right, so did you make a list for this? or? Well, I made a few, but I imagine that mine are on yours. So maybe you should just... Okay. Hive mind. Uh, okay. So th- I didn't. I didn't put this in any particular order. I would be hard pressed to decide what like the absolute worst movie of the year is. It's probably Justice League. To be honest, it's hard to put give it some anywhere else. It's not the one that I hated the most, you know. So I don't know. Uh, anyway, so the worst films of the year: Kingsman: The Golden Circle, which was just as bad as the first one, really, but just garbage. like in some way less objectionable, but only because it was less coherent. <laughs> Logan, which is just this like absolutely bullshit kind of cod mature 
um, like comic book film that seemed to have utter contempt for comic book movies and wanted to be a western but sucked. The Eyes of My Mother, disgustingly sadistic, pointless, kind of film student garbage stuff. Uh, Colossal, which was one of the weirdest films ever. (laughs) (laughs) Nacho Vigalondo's bizarre sort of kaiju movie slash uh, midlife crisis film, I don't know. Yeah, it's like Pacific Rim meets a Saturday Night Live sketch with, um, what's his fucking face, Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, the, possibly the worst actor. With one of the strangest scenes of the year being Jason Sudeikis uh, doing this sort of epic rant in a in a bar where he's like, "What's what does he say? What's the most dangerous thing? thing? What's the most irresponsible thing you can do in a bar or something?" And he, well, like that scene goes on for ages and it's super weird, but it's kind of rescued by the performance of um, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is fucking great in it. It's really hilarious. Disappointed. Uh, the Mummy, just a real crazy misfire, bizarre <laughs> film. Can't believe the dog universe is happening. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's the tragic end of the dark universe due to that, that movie being too weird. Ah! Uh, Wind River. Like, uh, this is another... I think you can really draw a line as well with a lot of these movies that were bad. And it's all like... A lot of them... I think The Mummy and Wind River and Logan and Kingsman and also Brawl and Sublot 99 and also Justice League and Bright. These are all like macho films that yeah. don't work. It's all about like men being men in the dumbest, shittest, most reactionary it's 2017, way. guys, you know. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have like more to say than this. Uh, Wind River is a good example, but it's the sort of twist on why it's annoying is because it thinks it's being like really progressive and stuff, and it's just like you know just idiotic. Endless, uh, Jeremy Renner mansplaining grief. It's just people. mansplaining. Like the, it's like the ultimate kind of mansplaining progressive issues movie. The, the fuck are you doing? The party, which which just didn't have anything to say whatsoever. Fuck yourself. And fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you as well. Yeah, I'm pulling some of those lines I mentioned. Shit. The Mountain Between Us, um, which I think was the only person in the world to see, <laughs> that's probably correct. Murder on the Orient Express, which we talked about a lot quite recent episodes. I just refer you to Chris's message to us for the <laughs> manifold reasons why that's bad, chief among them being Kenneth Branagh, of course. You fucking moron! You cretin! You're a fuckhead! That's what you are! A fucking shithead! And uh, Justice League, for extremely obvious reasons, I do not need to enumerate. And Bright, which we'll be talking about later. But yeah, it's a spoiler alert to say that movie wasn't very good. It sucked. It sucked. Christmas time in the film chat studio. Danny's dressed like a reindeer. Sam and Katie are covered in tinsel. It's definitely Christmas in here. Uh, Sam, I'm a little parched. Would you like a drop of some something with bubbles in it? <laughs> Do you have any sort of bubbly liquid handy? Like we could perhaps. Yes. Let me just. Okay. Excellent. Got a bit of. Gonna get some foley work here. Let's see. I'm opening the Christmas booze. Okay, here we go. Let's Ooh, just a little thing. The little do, wire. Gonna do this for sound. Get some good sound out of this. Twist the bottle. Hold the cork. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh Merry Ooh, Christmas. Merry Christmas. To Merry us. Christmas. Whoa. Okay. Oh shit. Oh, shit. We're good. Let's get a bit of the tinkling going here. Wow. That is real noise. You don't get that in the arches. Oh, thank you very much. They put it in afterwards. 
Clear is as authentic as us, they record out a farm. Don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> Don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. You're right. Um, mm. Cheers, Danny. Cheers. Here's to you. Here's to you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's been a pleasure doing this uh, for another year of great podcasting. Shall we discuss the biggest movie in the world right now? Let's discuss the biggest film ever. Why not? Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi is in cinemas. You've probably already seen it. This movie is obviously widely anticipated, but perhaps even more anticipated was the film chat hot take. So by necessity, we're going to have to not spoil anything, but briefly sketch out the plot. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, then skip ahead 16 minutes. Uh, But basically, following the events of The Force Awakens, the rebels or the resistance whichever you want to call them yeah are under attack by the first order led by the sneering human sneer which is uh general hux played by don hall gleason kylo ren is a bit annoyed about having his face scarred and gonna getting you know cucked by a uh, ray yeah ray has gone to uh find luke skywalker and you know hopefully bring him back into the folds and uh what follows is a exciting space romp and with the addition of <laughs> Uh, Laura Dern playing um, Vice Admiral Holdover, a sort of cool resistance. Hold, Holdover. Hold, Holdo? She's just called Holdo. Hold, yeah. But Holdover, Holdover is a good kind of put down nickname for a Shit, no, but I'm a big fan. Vice Admiral Holdover. And uh, Kelly Marie Tran's playing Rose, who's a sort of plucky uh, technician and the first Asian character of any prominence in a Star Wars movie. Who, um, who wasn't playing a sort of like fish alien or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't think there's any clips. Are there maybe, no clips? Here's, maybe here's a bit of the trailer. always been there. But now it's awake. And I need help. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Kill it. If you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. So, we came a little bit late to this, right? Because we only saw it last week, and it had been out already for a a week and a half or so. And it's proved quite divisive. Very divisive. So it was really exciting to go and see it because, you know, although I didn't, I wasn't reading any spoilers or whatever, I was aware that there was this whole debate going on about it. The critics seemed to generally really like it, but there was this fan backlash. Yeah. And what I should have realized before going in is that the fan backlash is a real sign of quality. Yeah. That should have been the best sign, actually, like in retrospect. And I'll know going forwards that if like a particular section of the fan base hates it, it's a sign that the movie has to be doing something correct. Because having seen it, and I enjoyed it, I believe you enjoyed it as well. I thought it was a blast. I thought it was a total blast. And all of the things that the fans were moaning about afterwards were all things that I actively liked about the film. Yeah. Like, if every single complaint they had is something that was actually good. Yeah, I think what I was so impressed about the film is that it kind of tackles head-on the problems The Force Awakens has, or had, as well as tackling the wider problems with Star Wars films in general. And then it answers all those problems, but at the same time, tying all together with this thematic thrust, where it all kind of clicks into place. And uh, it's been a while since a blockbuster sequel has been this surprising. 
Absolutely. I think that's that's probably the, the crux of why it's good. And that's even more impressive because I, no film has had any more speculation than this one, perhaps. And I remember uh, regular correspondent Dougal McQueen, I think when he's describing Game of Thrones, says it's like this weird, like, a thousand monkeys on a thousand typewriter situation where there's so many people commenting about it, you think they would have already guessed every possibility of the direction the film could go has been discussed and torn to shreds or whatever. But somehow this film has come out and surprised everybody. And I was like, there was genuine, like, constantly, I didn't know where I was going. And it was constantly pulling the rug from under me in ways which I was just like, hats off to you, Ryan Johnson. You know, you really did it. Yeah, it had um, the feeling of, of watching it and not knowing where individual scenes were going to go felt extremely refreshing. And also having characters where it wasn't in- immediately obvious how they sorted into the narrative. And there's a subplot involving Poe Dameron and Vice Admiral Hodo, the Holdo, the uh, Laura Dern character, where they that it's it's basically very effectively dramatized in a way where you just feel like the action is organically unfolding from the motivations of the characters yeah and uh it's not clear how it's going to play out and it's not obvious where the audience sympathies are supposed to lie and it was just that it just felt like such a refreshing thing to uh to be watching something written in that way and yeah it was like that a lot and because i think because it's the middle chapter and it's also modelled um, to an extent on The Empire Strikes Back, he obviously feels uh, empowered to go dark, you know, and to have bad yeah. things happen. And that makes for, I think, an inherently, in some ways, more exciting uh, cinematic experience than your average blockbuster because he has to set things up for a kind of triumphant finale. And it means that he is able to do more things to his heroes that are bad than you can normally get away with in a mega blockbuster. So their plans go awry constantly. I mean, they go awry in any blockbuster, of course, but it never it never wants you to feel normally like there's too much at risk. Yeah, like Things are normally going to be fine. Uh, whereas in this film, I didn't feel like that. I was genuinely tense throughout a lot of the film um, in a way that I'm not, not used to feeling. Yeah, and one of the... Well, I think the strongest element of the... Oh, Excuse me, no that's worries. some uh, Prosecco noise. One of the strongest elements of the film, and I think wh- why part of the reason for this sort of very particular nerd backlash is that it really empowers the female characters and like Star Wars has this problem where like they often have female figures in positions of authority but they didn't do anything like Mon Mothma never does anything yeah Leia hasn't done anything for like three movies even though she's the best character in my opinion and it kind of tackles head on that criticism and it kind of makes this point about critiques the romantic idea of masculinity particularly in like war movies and the sort of the ideas of heroism and it makes these very smart observations where basically like, all the uh, <laughs> male characters on both sides of the force are having these kind of tensions the whole movie. And the women are super chill and uh, keep it all together. And it was just great. I was like fully on board for this super woke Star Wars feminist taking on it. And the performances are amazing. Like really, really good. Mark Hamill is totally owning. He, he is incredible. He's crushing it. Yeah, he's it's quite crushing funny it. because a part of it is like people like Luke Skywalker can do this and can do that. And he himself is like said he had issues with the way the character was portrayed. But that just makes me more impressed by his performance because there's no shred of uh, lack of conviction in any of his lines. It's Absolutely like he not. Completely, no. you know, did it as wrote. And like, um, there's something very fitting about his arc as a character where he's like this sort of sulky teen who wants to like leave his home planet, explore the galaxy, becoming an old man who refuses to leave a planet <laughs> <laughs> and wants to be left alone. Yeah, it's but it's but it's equally great, sulky. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's brilliant. And um Adam Driver is like the best actor of his generation. He's just mesmeric. Like every time he's on screen, he's really selling 
in the in the Force Awakens, I kind of like roll my eyes a bit at some of this the random Force bullshit. But in this one, I was so invested in all the new space nonsense. Yeah, good space nonsense in this one. I think there's some, some bad plot nonsense, but the space nonsense is is much superior to previous installments. I think it's the first time I had any sense that when they're sort of nattering on about the force and what it all means there was any kind of like tangible material to it at all yeah like the lucas movies are ram-packed with people going on about the dark and the light and has yoda saying things like do or do not there is no try and all this kind of crap which is useless kind of bumper sticker crap that means nothing yeah and in this movie when they're discussing what it means like what the force means and that kind of thing there's just enough kind of meat on the bones there to, to give you something to actually to think about to engage with the film and that feeds into the, where the story goes. Yeah, I was like, I mean, this is a, that's unique in Star Wars for any of the films that I've seen, um, and particularly there's a kind of parallel in this movie to the uh, Dagobah stuff from The Empire Strikes Back, where the sort of you know young uh, neophyte um, wants to be a Jedi arrives and is trained by a master kind of thing, um, and there's there's also a, a, a like the way that that plays out. I mean, I'm trying to avoid spoilers of any kind, yeah, but sure, it, some like, of the sort of it sequences mirrors, that mirrors sequence, it. Yeah, exactly. But I thought it was much better in this movie than, than how that's done in Empire Strikes Back in that, in this case, the, the sort of psychological development and the kind of arguments that are made and the discussions between them have a lot more um, uh, content to them. Yeah. And the, there's a sort of sequence of self-discovery that I thought was like really excellently done. It's both visually really interesting and unusual and not like anything I've seen in Star Wars before. And also it had a real point. Like it had a real thing to say. It wasn't just like Luke, you know, Darth Vader is you or something. It's like that doesn't doesn't really mean anything, you know, but Yeah, I've, yeah. It's you're like, you're your own worst enemy. It's it's like all that stuff is just feels like kind of self help nonsense and Absolutely. I mean I feel there are like some flaws. The plotting is a little off at the, points. The plotting is wonky, yeah. And uh it's perhaps a little overlong, but it never drags. And like even like I think some people have cited like certain sequences are like what was that the point of that and I was like I was having a blast in that sequence you know like yeah. it's never like there's oh what was that like, long boring dialogue scene it's like no there was like a thousand different types of space puppets it was brilliant and it's just the whole thing is imbued with such wit and there's always like a little bit of shtick for everything like if someone has to pick up you know a cup there'll be like a little alien next to it or something <laughs> you know like yeah. no frame can go you know without something happening and. I felt like it kind of nailed the Star Wars thing more than The Force Awakens and it had this sort of like goofy sense of fun yeah, to it. Yeah. And when I left the cinema, I didn't know, I enjoyed it, but I didn't know quite what to make of it because it's quite uh, dense and it's like really, it's really epic. So it's a lot to take in and it probably, you know, you probably need to view it a couple of times because there's so much going on. But the more you think, once you sort of click into what the movie's doing, the more you think about little moments, the more like impressed I was by how like cleverly certain plot points were seeded or the way certain moments like thematically led the story forward. I was like, this is just, you know, some high quality blockbuster filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the features of The Force Awakens is, uh, obviously it's, um, I think it, it, it's this film that's slightly faded in the imagination. Everyone was like super excited about it when it came out and it slightly lost its glow a little bit, as often happens with J.J. Abrams movies. And I think part of that is to do with the kind of meta-narrative around how the relationship between Star Wars and its fans or its cultural presence, you know. Um, and the, the way in which The Force Awakens is a kind of apology for the prequels, which didn't feel like Star Wars, quote-unquote. Yeah. And so they made this film that was like the most Star Wars-y thing possible, which basically meant taking every kind of plot point 
from uh, A New Hope and just doing it again, but also with the old actors, you know, <laughs> so that like Harrison Ford turns weird up and he's fan fiction movie, but yeah, weird cast. kind of fan fiction movie, exactly. And like, but there's even like meta qualities to you know, like having Ray and Kylo be kind of fans of the previous movies, yeah, yeah. So they like explicitly reference them and they're like, oh, I've heard the stories, I'm so excited, I've you know, seen those like, movies. I've seen those movies, exactly. So Last Jedi also has that meta quality but it's doing something much better with it. And it's kind of interesting in a way that they, uh, there's, there's, I think a lot of why people are saying that it's like tossed away The Force Awakens or it sort of threw out a bunch of stuff from that movie is because it is kind of having an argument with that film because the message of this movie is all about detaching yourself from what came before. And there's even a bit where they kind of destroy the canon, you know? Yeah. Like literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's like, it's this kind of a lot of the lines in the movie feel like they could be spoken directly to the fans they've got this kind of double meaning where they're kind of talking to each other but they're also talking to you and whereas in in the force awakens they have those moments but what it's saying to you is there's no difference between 1977 and right now We're, we're right back there nothing has changed it's like super fun it's just like before and whereas this movie is saying it is completely different you cannot return to the past things have to move on and you just gotta like get over it yeah. and like deal with it um, and that's what growing up means. And that's a much better and more refreshing message, especially because it feels like it's directed not only at Star Wars, but at the wider blockbuster culture, which is so soaked in this sort of... Nostalgia a, and Yeah, to. this like horrible kind of false nostalgia, which just wants you to kind of insulate yourself from the world around you and just like, you know, bury your head in the sand and be like, oh, I'm just, I'm four years old and I'm watching Jurassic Park again and it's all fine, you know. <laughs> it's just trying to like evoke past glories and not say anything else. And uh, this film is basically saying that's bad. It's like explicitly saying that that's bad. And that was that was great. I mean, I thought that was a really, really good message. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that there's definitely things you could complain about with it. But it basically got all of the main things correct. And its attitude all the big was completely moments nailed. All the big moments are nailed. I mean, some people have criticized the writing, but I thought like the, the important lines are really good. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was much more sharply written than the previous one. Yeah, it is much more. It is that's definitely true. And uh, not every joke lands, but that's true of all the Star Wars movies. Like, I don't know why people have been so fixated on this one being unfunny. It's like there are some deeply unfunny jokes in uh, The Force Awakens as well, as there are in all of the Star Wars films. And I just found it very easy to brush them off. And it also, like, the, the jokes that worked made me laugh more than... I have in any other Star Wars film. Like some of the little critters, I just thought were adorable. <laughs> I loved them all. I love the fish nuns. I like the porgs. I like the uh, the little goblin who puts the coins in the casino <laughs> sequence. I love that guy. I like those giant kind of horses. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, I am, and perhaps you are, like kind of more primed to like like this version of Star Wars because I'm somebody who like loves the original movies. Obviously, the prequels are garbage. Like was a very underwhelmed slash slightly annoyed by. Uh, the Force Awakens, and I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan, so it was like I'm right in the sort of you know crosshairs of all those different things, and like he did exactly what I wanted him to do with the franchise, and I feel like well, he's it's like, kind of interesting because I imagine if there was another Force Awakens movie, I think by now people would be tired of it, yeah, They'd be like oh it's just another retread, yeah, and now yeah. like you know I was I saw this great gif where like uh somewhere like a picture of the like posters of the original Star Wars like this is Star Wars and like the prequels like this is not enough like Star Wars and like Force Awakens like this is too much like Star Wars and, yeah, like, yeah 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 like this is both too much like Star Wars and too much not like Star Wars it's like well, you know what the fuck do you want like <laughs> yeah I think that's definitely that's definitely element of it there's some of the more like reactionary criticisms of it like that sort of real hardcore fanboy stuff I think it's just based in um a reaction to Star Wars being kind of opened up uh in a way that it can only be a good thing 
And the fact that these people have been pissed off is absolutely good. Um, <laughs> and like the because it's basically part of the argument in the movie, and it again works on like two levels, like both on a kind of thematic like character story level, and also that kind of meta narrative of the role of the thing in culture is that it's like the forces for everyone. And that was the thing. I think wasn't that film crit Hulk piece yeah. you sent me, or whatever. That that that's part of the message that it's like it's not for a specific set of people. It's for everyone. And it's not just Luke Skywalker and his offspring. Exactly. So it's like it's both genetically more available to people, um, and it's also uh, there's a lot more diversity in it, and its treatment of uh, the the that sort of like fan base with really specific ideas about what's to happen, and you know that it sort of breaks away from their expectations in a way in order to tell something that is more meaningful, like you know is sort of wider. Um, yeah, is this is not going to go the way the you way you think. think. Exactly, not going the way you think. But like that means that it's it's a story for more people, and that's good. Say so, fuck you. Here, here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey everyone, I've been on the go recently: Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. <laughs> Were you left home alone this winter? Did you get scrooged over in business? Perhaps you thought you were in love. Actually, it was a nightmare before Christmas. Well, just forget about those gremlins, baby. You're trading places with a happier guy. Pop a film chat on and let your blues die hard. And you realize it's a wonderful life. From one incredibly surprising, very well-made piece of blockbuster <laughs> entertainment to another. The least surprising and worst made. So uh, if you've got a Netflix account, you will have been unable to escape the fact that Bright, this Max Landers scripted, uh, David Ayer directed film starring Will Smith and Joe Edgerton has come out. It's like the first Netflix blockbuster, right? Netflix blockbuster. Say goodbye, cinema. Your time is up. Um, to briefly try and explain the plots. It's set in a Monday LA where it's almost like the events of Lord of the Rings happened, happened like two thousand years, two thousand years ago. And so modern society has, uh, you know, evolved with elves and orcs and humans coexisting sometimes with a lot of animosity between them. Orcs are kind of black and this like weird racial. So allegory. orcs are like the underclass and they live in ghettos and they're really into like hip-hop. heavy metal and hip hop and yeah. stuff and they wear like chains and oversized like football tees and stuff. Exactly. And uh, then, like, in the higher echelons of society, it's, like, elves who are all, like, bankers and, you know, wear expensive clothes. Jews. So, <laughs> so, <Jews. laughs> so, so the Jews. And, uh, yeah, and humans are just fitting there somewhere. Humans just fitting somewhere. And the lead is Will Smith playing uh, Scott Ward. He is a LA cop. I can't who believe is, you can remember that guy's name. That's, who, like, incredible to me. Who has been <laughs> partnered with the only orc cop who, and he doesn't want to be partnered with him because it makes him a target. And he thinks it's just like some sort of like, you know, PC diversity thing he's been shouldered with. And the two of them are mis they're not really friends, they're mismatched. And they stumble across a crime scene where they find a magic wand. Magic and they wand. get embroiled in this sort of uh, crazy night where often people are after this, you know, it's like the suitcase from Ronan or something. Yeah, everyone wants the wand. Everyone wants the wand. And it is 
fucking terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Is there? Should we? Is there a clip? Should we and just? Here's a clip. Here's a clip. If we could find one. You will not be listening to no orcish music. I believe that you're lacking in love, Ward. I'm what? By love, I mean, like, physical. I don't need no physical love. Humans have physical tells. Tells, huh? Yeah. It's called a face. Boy, I ain't making no face. Well, like, like the face you're making right now. I ain't making no face right now. Yeah. Oh, so you know human face. You know him. I got, you got a lot of them. A lot of them. Show me the face uh, uh, an orc makes when he just shut the fuck up, don't say shit, and just try to work. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, you got that one. Yeah, oh so it sucked. God, so it, sucked. it was kind of exciting to watch it because David Ehrlich, the IndieWire uh, film critic, posted a review of it where he absolutely tore it to shreds and just described it as the worst film of 2017. So obviously really excited to see it. Oh, of course. And it is really terrible. It's it's like derivative in all the worst possible ways. It's kind of the same, similar to Zootropolis in a way, but like yeah. ma- made by idiots, you know, like without... Zootropolis did a huge amount of work to make its gender and racial allegories work and make sense and be harmonious. And there's so much effort has gone into creating a world that has all these little things that make it tick and you understand how it functions. Um, and they didn't do, they just didn't do that in this film. No. Um, and it's also a bit like Hot Fuzz, but if it wasn't a comedy, you know, like yeah. kind of like buddy cop thing where they just yell cliches at each other, you know, but it's, but it's all set up to be a gag. But it's like that, except like not a joke, you know. This is a film where there's a bit where um, the orc, who's played by Joel Edgerton, they, like, shoot a gun, you know, and a car explodes or something, and he's like, they don't teach that at the academy. Oh, my God. And you're like, are you kidding? Are you serious? Yeah, it feels so uh, dated. It's so dated. And, like, it, Will it, Smith, yeah. I feel like no one's told him it's not 997 anymore. Like, that, that was 20 years ago as Men in Black. And he plays the character as if, a bit, I've, you made this point, I'm going to steal it from you. Please you, do. You, you can't say it. You no, said no. it yesterday. I'll say it. <laughs> um, where it's like in sort of Men in Black where, you know, he's the sort of audience surrogate and he's entered this crazy world and so he's reacting to things. But it's like, but he's lived in that world his entire life. Yeah. So he's like, there's some crazy ass, you know, Lord of the Rings shit. It's like, why would the book Lord of the Rings exist <laughs> in a world where yeah. Lord of the Rings is history? There's a bit where he calls one of the orcs like a Shrek looking motherfucker or something it's like, like that. And why it's like, would the movie why Shrek would, exist? It wouldn't, the movie Shrek would be so weird in this world. It wouldn't yeah. make any sense. The movie Shrek would be like my dinner of Andre or something <laughs> you know, in the world of Bright. Yeah, <laughs> it it's wouldn't like, be a fantasy movie. It'd just be like a sober drama. Yeah, I'm going to steal something you said yeah, now because we're buddies. But you were like the thing that it reminded you of was B movie in that it's this film where they felt like they put no effort into conceiving the world whatsoever, and so it constantly makes you question like how the fuck does that work? Yeah, yeah. And it is like it asks you to buy into the idea that the human history would have gone identically pretty much in all respects <laughs> except for elves. there's orcs and elves and so yeah it's like but it just makes you every every single time anything happens you're like but would that be true if orcs had always existed yeah, you know yeah, yeah. yeah and it's just full of these weird little inconsistencies like the fact that the orc cop so in the plot um will smith gets shot on duty on his first day out with the orc and then he convalesces you know at home and then he's back and then the movie starts with him like coming back to work but there's all this bullying of the orc cop, which is kind of like it's also his first day, but he must have been doing it for weeks. Like, yeah. who's he been buddied with? You know, he exactly. must have been going out with someone else, but they really act like it's this unique thing. And it, yeah, 
it's, so it's like it's full of things like that that make you like confused. But the thing that sort of stops it from being like so bad it's good is that it's it's you know David A obviously directed Suicide Squad and it's got the similar aesthetic where it's like really grimy, dim, grim world where it's like you're not it's you're not primed to find things funny. It's like there should be some sort of hard hitting social realist drama about a crack epidemic or something. But yeah. it's like a guy dressed as an orc doing like crap nineties. You know, sort of bants. Bants. And uh, it's hard to know where to put the blame. I think the Max Snyder script obviously wasn't very good. But I, I was reading a bit up on like Reddit. The nerds were trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> and uh, it seemed like like Will Smith like, ad-libbed a lot of lines. Like, the lines like, fairy lives don't matter from the trailer. Yeah, thus, was an ad-lib. That's like cementing in your mind the really fucked up racial politics of the film. And uh, Dave Ayer did a rewrite which seemed to change a lot of things. Like there's a sort of character of this sort of like kind of sexy elven woman who they've got to like rescue and then the original script is like a, it's a little boy but it's like that's not I can't wank over that so I've changed it to a you know right, a right. sexy nymphette and it seems like a lot of the similar things are wrong with Suicide Squad are wrong with that and I think a lot of people were like willing to give him a break like he didn't redirect Suicide Squad that was some studio had to job and they're like oh actually you are just yeah, completely his, incompetent yeah I mean I remember when we were talking about Suicide Squad it felt like a film where the, the original movie was probably sucked and then like every way they fucked with it only made it worse and this is the same but they except Ayer is now the guy who fucked with it rather than <laughs> 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 you know just the sort of authorial voice or whatever um, yeah hey, I didn't you know we didn't pay any money we didn't waste any money we didn't waste this. any money it's also got this weird thing where like despite the fact that it's a cop action film the whole, the whole movie basically takes place in over the course of a single night and it's like dark and you can't see what the fuck is going on. So it has not a single memorable or interesting bit of action in it. It has this really rote thing where they go to a dark place so you can't see shit. And then and someone some comes in and tries up. to shoot them. Some stuff explodes. Then they leave and go to another place. And the same thing happens over and over and over again. It all takes place within small rooms. There's no like scale or scope to it whatsoever. There's like a couple of car chases which are, you know, um, it's the same thing where you can't really tell what's going on. But other than that, it's all these little shitty rooms. And it looks like it had a, like, you know, a tiny budget and it cost $90 million. Yeah. And it, it looks like it looks like utter shit. Like it looks like it cost no money at all. Like how much money could it have cost to like put that latex mask on Joel Edgerton, you know? Like where does the budget going? Is it like $45 million for Will Smith? Yeah, like, perhaps his, like, so. Fancy trailer and stuff. Yeah, very, very mysterious film. It's hard to... Hard to conceive of what uh, what they were going for, what they were supposed to get out of it. Like, and, and Max Landis, he was really excited when David Ayer signed on to director because he was like, he'd, he'd already written some note in the script. He was like, this is to Tolkien and Ayer or something like that. So he kind of dedicated the script to him. Like, he really wanted him to do it. And it's hard to know why. Yeah. Because in what way would, you know, a movie like End of Watch or Training Day... Why would it be better if it was identical except, like, one of the characters was an orc? Well, how does that make the thing better? It's like, it's this real, like, Landis attitude where it's, he just, like, everything's an elevator pitch, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's Lord of the Rings meets Training Day or whatever, and it's like, but what's good? Why is that good? What does it have to say? And it, there's something really annoying about taking social politics and just, you know, just using it to play some kind of, like, jigsaw-type game with plot creation, yeah, you yeah. know? Like, if you don't have anything to add, like, to, to um, mention Zootropolis again, like, that film has stuff to say about society and, Absolutely. you know, uh, and the way it's constructed and, like, discrimination, how people treat each other or whatever. Like, they, there's an argument to be made there, you know, and maybe it's because it's a kid's movie and, like, kid's movies have to have morals. Um, and, but, like, why make a film that's kind of about racism if you have nothing to say about racism? 
It's just, what, what is the point? Like, it's the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Like, that film would have sucked, if, but it would have been better if it was not a fantasy movie, you know, yeah. and it just had humans. And it would have been almost exactly the same. You just replace the wand with a gun or, you know, a yeah, nuke yeah, or yeah. The, the suitcase from Ronin or whatever, and it would have been identical. Um, uh, but it just wouldn't have been offensive. <laughs> it just would have been, like, mediocre and lame. But I don't know. Weird. Very weird film. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Uh, Danny, would you care for another drop? Oh, of bubbly bubbles. Wouldn't mind a little bit of another little bit to get down, get Here down the old screech. There we are. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Lovely, lovely. Oh, 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 oh. very well poured, sir. Thank you. I'll pour myself a little bit more as well. You know, Christmas is a time of reflection, but it's also a time to look forward to what's to come in 2018. Let's get some pouring sounds going on here. Oh, yes. Ooh, crispy, crunchy audio. Not necessarily look forward in a positive way, but also in a negative way. Now, here's what I'm looking forward to, Danny. Watching every other film by Takashi Miike. Okay? I got insulted on the website twitter.com this this some nameless motherfucker <laughs> some basement dwelling virgin <laughs> i was called out uh well we were both called out really um for not having seen enough takashi miki films and yet still re- reviewing blade of the immortal i mean what the fuck does he want from us from a free podcast which we make <laughs> our own back with an right? audience of five with an audience of five you know yeah well you want to help I'm me not, out i'm not saying Patreon, i took it personally give but me some I- money <laughs> Um, like I'm not saying I mind it, but I will be, you know, talking about that every week and and obsessively watching that guy's movies. Um, and I'm just going to sequester myself away in a sort of den. And then the next episode of the podcast, the first episode of 2018, will be in like July. By the time, by that time, I will have been able to watch enough movies that I can, you know, be knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. Own, own him back. Own him back. Exactly. Drag him online. See if he likes it. Oh, I'm looking forward to the subtweet I'm going to do of that guy. Oh, it's going to be good. But before we start talking about positive things, let's discuss <laughs> negative things to look forward to or not look forward to. Things. Well, to I dread. like watching garbage. So it's true. I do look forward to them. Well, Chris Young got in touch to say, "Hi, film chat. I was just watching the Ready Player One trailer, and it got me thinking. What film are you looking forward to the least in 2018? Perhaps I think he's giving us a clue as to what he thought of the Ready Player One trailer. Yeah. Which admittedly did look terrible. Looked awful. About how a nerd uh, sort of goes into a world where all other films are or something. I have a take on Ready Player One. Would you like to hear my take? Yeah, give me a hot take. So uh, Ready Player One is like the most literal version yet of this kind of like nostalgia fest in in blockbusters, you know? Yeah. Uh, Because um, it features like, well, the book at least, I assume the movie will be the same, like features constant references to stuff from the 80s or about like 80s culture. And it's set in like dystopian future where this guy lives in a slum and all he has to do is like, you know, surf plug online, in, plug in, and be a sort of like online guy uh, playing as some kind of massive multiplayer online game where he looks at movies or something like that, and he gets really into eighties culture. Uh, and it obviously feels like a bit of a meta comment on the audience, yeah, because it's like films, blockbuster entertainment is escapism from a garbage world, and but it's this is this weird kind of mirror worlds funhouse thing where it's like you're not just seeing escapism, but your escapism is watching someone else whose escapism is 80s stuff, you know? Yeah. So it's like, if you watch Stranger Things, you're the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. But the thing that that reminded me of is Jurassic World, (laughs) which is another, um, like, particularly kind of 
uh, insidious and uh, poorly executed version of this like nostalgia thing business where it's like trying to be Jurassic Park but in the plot of Jurassic World they are people are becoming bored of the dinosaurs and they have to genetically engineer a bigger dinosaur and that felt like meta commentary on the process of making a sequel to a beloved film you know where you just have to kind of like audiences are idiots and you have to impress them with like just a bigger thing with more teeth you know like it's got a bigger budget the action is more bombastic but it's just as dumb you see what i mean yeah yeah so these both feel like like movies where not only are they embodying the that trend towards like empty kind of uh, nostalgia films but also laughing at you while they do it like like fuck yous to the people who are consuming the products that they have cynically created yeah 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 I know exactly what you mean. I kind of feel that same way about like Big Bang Theory. It's like look at these fucking nerds, which you are one of. It's like what? You know, huh? Yeah. It's like laugh at these fucking dogs. And and the, but the, the only dogs. reason you get their jokes is because you are them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the films I'm least looking forward to is the film Piercing by Nicholas Pesh. Nicholas Pesh being the writer and director of Eyes of My Mother, a fucking terrible torture porn slash Chanel ad. Yeah. Which was unwatchable. But I was like, maybe, you know, maybe his next one will be good. Here's the plot. A man who kisses his wife and baby goodbye, seemingly headed away on business with a plan to check into a hotel, call an escort service, and kill an unsuspecting prostitute. It's like, ugh, no, don't do it. Yeah. You've it, already done it, but just destroy the film. Say, like, in, in Eyes of My Mother, there there's, like, a young woman who horribly murders and tortures a bunch of other people. Yeah. And now it'll be a businessman who horribly murders and tortures Evolution a prostitute. Of a, Genius. That sounds, but like, it sounds I mean, fucking awful. It sounds like the sort of this just just as bad, but now misogynist as well. Yeah, but you know, it's not going to really bother the multiplex, is it? It's going to be playing at like two screenings. No one's going to see it. The the three people who see that movie will have horrible nightmares, and they'll hate themselves and the you know the, that guy. I'm also not looking forward to Aquaman. Don't, <laughs> see, don't see how that can be good. You're not looking forward to Aquaman. I mean, James Wan's directing it, and he seems like a safer pair of hands. Come on. But Every time I think about Aquaman, I, I say, yeah! <laughs> My man! My man! That's how I feel about Jason Momoa. He's... And, uh... <laughs> All right! Uh, the other film I'm really dreading is the Peter Rabbit film, with James Corden <laughs> as Peter Rabbit. God. That had a... Ch- like, the trailer for that was I just, terrible. like... Listen, you know, James Corden, I don't employ him right he's gone overseas he's made a success himself you don't, I don't, you, I don't, don't you don't employ him i don't have to watch this shitty chat show yeah but i'm just fed up of him being everywhere so i can't fucking escape him like how many millions is, why do you have to voice beloved children's characters as well i don't really you know i mean I, it's been a while since i've read any of those beatrix potter things but i don't really think of peter rabbit as a cordon type no he's he's like a paddington type he's you a paddington type. Ben Whishaw. Whishaw. you need someone of that caliber like a sort of lovely beautiful soothing calming voice it's the same thing where it's like you know soothing and calming but also a little mischievous yeah james Corden isn't that no he's not that at all he's just a bit of obnoxious sycophant you know like yeah he also crops up in the trailer for oceans 8 Ugh. which i think will probably be bad um and uh he was an unwelcome presence in it i feel like if you're gonna make this cool kind of gender swapped version of oceans 11 where it's like a gang of uh, women thieves and stuff like that's great but like do you really need unless the reason that james corden is in it is to just make you relieved that there's no more men in it you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just to like really the men who are in it are, are terrible. just terrible men yeah. so you're like thank god they there's that this kept to a minimum you know well apparently uh, matt damon's in as well matt damon making his terrible uh not all men sort of stuff oh comments. really he's i guess reprising his role 
as that guy. Linus something. Linus. <laughs> Is that what he's called? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. That's not one of the ones I'm least looking forward to. But I don't really care about it. I guess. Not really that don't fast. care. Those films all look bad. Um, but let's move on to more positive things. The films we're looking forward to. I was having a look at what's coming out. This is a hard thing to Google, really. But all I did was just sort of Google directors of films that were on my top tens of previous years. And luckily, they're prolific enough to have another one in the works. Cool. So, I've uh, there's a bunch I'm looking forward to. But I've got... Should I just pick like a, a couple to zero in on? Yeah, just give us give us a flavour of what's coming out. I'm very excited for Cold War, which is the new movie by Paul uh, Paloski, who did uh, Ida. Uh, it's a passionate love story between two people of different backgrounds and temperaments who are fatally mismatched, set against the background of the Cold War in 1950s, in the 1950s in Poland, Berlin, Yugoslavia, and Paris. The film depicts an impossible love story in impossible times, which sounds very trite. Sounds generic as hell. But in the yeah. hands of Paul Polsky, you know, I'm very excited for. And the other film I'm very excited for is this film called Wendy, which is the follow-up by Ben Zeiland, who made Beasts of Southern Wild five years ago now. And that was his debut film and announced him as this, you know, major new voice. And they're like, you know, I can't wait for the new Ben Zyland movie. And he's Where just, you been? Where you been, Ben? Wendy, we know very little about it, except that the plot follows a young girl who's kidnapped and taken to a destructive ecosystem where mystical pollen breaks the relationship between aging and time. Wow. Sounds sick. And there's also a bunch of uh, movies I'm looking forward to. Spike Lee's Black Klansman is out next year. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm really excited for that one. Uh, Mike Lee's Peter Lou. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Uh... And uh, Hold the Dark, which is a new film by uh, Jeremy Saunier, who did The Green Room and Blue Velvet. Didn't call his other film. It's not a colour. It's not got a colour. So it dark. says it's dark, you Hold know. Hold the Dark. Yeah, that's, that's close enough, isn't it? It was originally, yeah, it was originally Hold the Dark Green, but... You know what the film I'm most excited for is, Danny? Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> you nerd. Very excited for that one. Cannot wait to see it. I've watched the trailer many times. My favourite bit of the trailer is all of the trailer. I'm also excited for Venom. Starring Tom Hardy. That is like a real, like, what the <laughs> fuck's going on there sort of style. But you, is it? Or do you feel like any film, if you just say starring Tom Hardy, you're like, what a bananas premise. <laughs> it's it's like, true. Take anything that you have some kind of cultural connection to already, and then you're just like played by Tom Hardy. You're like, what the fuck? It's like Elton John biopic, but it stars Tom Hardy. Like, really? What? Christmas Cow, Tom Hardy. <laughs> Tom what? What? Tom... He's like both like a great. He's, so... a, he's both a great actor, and also you can't conceive of him playing any role at all. <laughs> he's, he's so <laughs> such an idiosyncratic cinematic presence there. If he's in any role, you're like, what the fuck is he doing? Well, how could he play that? Makes Tom no Hardy sense. in a film of his life. What? <laughs> Tom Hardy biopic starring Tom Hardy. I don't think so. Sounds fucking nuts. It makes absolutely no sense. He's like a sort of anti-actor, where the, the attraction of going to see him is how little he disappears into the role. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, just the absolutely. excitement of seeing Tom Hardy again, doing, like, fucking the screen up, you know? He's just, like, choose the scenery in the sense that he literally <laughs> makes the rest of the film disappear. He's just eating it, and you're just watching him, like, he's just doing whatever, you know, it's just this latest crazy shit, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's thrilling. I think, like, uh, Michael Caine... Uh, define like like an actor is someone who disappears in a role, and a movie star is like someone who just has their thing, and you just go and see them do that. That's a really like, that's good, yeah. And like Tom Hardy is sort of like that, but also all his performances are very different. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all in this like weird Tom Hardy umbrella of like weirdness. They're sort of different. He's always like kind of sort of chewing up and swallowing the words. And it's a bit like, like the Benicio del Toro thing stuff. of like you can't really understand anything that he says, and you're like, this is incredible. Like, yeah, it's a stun, it's stunning acting. I have no idea what the hell he's saying. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, I mean, sure. I, like, I'll watch him. Like, as just a photographer. He gets hit by an alien goo that turns him <laughs> into sort of an evil version of Spider-Man with a giant tongue. What's good about this one is that you'll get to see him do two characters, right? You'll get to see Eddie Brock and mild-mannered, sort of jerkish. He's a bit of a prick, isn't he? But he's yeah. And then you know some evil sentient alien creature with a long tongue and fangs. My favorite moment in the whole Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy is the bit in the third Spider-Man where Spider-Man smashes Eddie Brock's camera and he just gets really angry. (laughs) (laughs) That's the motivation for him to, you know, become Venom. It's a great moment. Buddy, love the new outfit. This is exactly what I need to scoop Parker. Give me, uh, give me some of that web action. See you, chump. And on that note, on that note, uh, have a lovely Christmas. Have a wonderful New Year. Absolutely. Look after yourselves, and you know. Yes. Uh, maintain a good diet and lifestyle. Take care of your loved ones. Ask them to take care of you. Um, and I try to stay positive. Stay positive. Let's chink. Chink. Good night. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Goodbye. Hold it like so, nice and easy. Now compress your lips to create your embouchure, enough for the tip of your little finger. And blow into the hole gently, like so. Watch me, I'll do the fingering. Go on. Very good. G to B flat. Now put your fingers where mine are. You aren't surprised to see me. Every mission needs a good synthetic. Gentle pressure on the holes. The weight of a cigarette paper. That's it. I was with our illustrious creator, Mr. Wayland, when he died. What was he like? He was human. Entirely unworthy of his creation. I pitied him at the end. Raise your fingers as I put pressure on them. have symphonies in you, brother. I was designed to be more attentive and efficient than every previous model. I superseded them in every way, but... But... You are not allowed to create... even a simple tune. Damn frustrating, I'd say. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.